evening and welcome to a very special edition of the Movie Scramble podcast. Tonight, as you can hear, it is only just myself, John MacArthur, who is on the podcast, but it's an edition where I am talking to two Glasgow filmmakers, Chris Quick and Andy McEwen, about their short film, Autumn Never Dies. Gentlemen, how the hell are you during this weird lockdown time? Tired. How's the lockdown been treating you? Have you been busy or has it caused problems with film making and everything like that? Uh, well, I suppose we were kind of lucky in the sense that we we had a film just at the tail end of post-production. Obviously, we just completed one this year, so we haven't really been interrupted in terms of a filmmaking process because we've pretty much been put into festivals. But obviously it's been a completely different kettle of fish because no festivals have been taking place. It's all been online. So like the one time we thought, oh, this is great. We've got a nice shiny new film to to show here, there and everywhere. And then everywhere's shut or not showing it Mm -hmm. as a live event. So it's kind of hard to kind of grasp an audience reaction to it at the moment because we don't quite know you know who's seen it and what they thought about it but i'm sure hopefully maybe some festivals towards the end of the year might be able to take place as a live event we'll maybe get a good interpretation of it then yep certainly hope so obviously we're here tonight to talk about autumn never dies which is in fact a sequel to a 2012 short film called the grayness of autumn September, the start of a new month and the dawn of a new season. Autumn is a subtle time of year that sees so much change in the beauty of nature that we never truly stop to take it all in. It highlights the crucial point where nature has reached its peak in the cycle of life and death and must gradually begin the process of irreversible decline. Some refer to this savage act as the greyness of autumn. I always felt there was no real truth in the phrase and dismissed it as nothing but an urban myth. My name is Danny Maguire. And this is my story of how I underestimated the power of a season and ended up paying the ultimate price. Now, for those of our audience who have not seen The Greenest of Autumn, it is on YouTube for your delectation and is well worth 13 minutes of your, your time to go and check this out. Could you let the audience know what the greenness of autumn was about and who is actually in it green so it's basically uh it's about a glasgow ostrich that is really had a bad week his girlfriend dumps him he loses his job and he's trying to cope with all the bad news that's affecting him and he's trying to get through life basically but he's always up against it that's basically the gist of it yep pretty much yep. covers it yeah <laughs> yeah, without giving any spoilers away there. <laughs> it's always hard with a yeah. short film to try and explain things without kind of... Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> you could say so much of it, and then it's like, oh, what's the point of seeing the film now? <laughs> I was going to say who's in it. Okay, Duncan Ellie James, he voices Danny. Chris voices Nelson. Sorry, I could forget Chris. <laughs> but uh, Amy Watson, who played mm. Katie, mm. and she wasn't in the first one. I'm trying to go back to yeah, the first sorry, one yeah. and remember who's all in the first one. Oh, Neil yeah. Francis. Neil yeah. Francis playing yeah. Barry. Yeah. Yep. Right at, yeah, I know I'm right. At the moment, I'm picturing everybody that's in the second one. I'm trying to remember. I know. They weren't, they weren't in the first one. Dave Wells and Andrew O'Donnell. Oh, yeah, so he was. I forgot he was on it. <laughs> that's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Of the cast of the other, but raging, they don't forget about me. Yeah, uh, uh, 
full of colourful characters anyway. Nice. So that was back in 2012 and it was very well received as far as I could tell at the time. Obviously we covered it on the site at the time and it did the, the various short film festivals and all these sort of things. So from there... Obviously, you've you've both had glittering careers since then, but we're now back 2020 and we're here with the sequel, which I, I really liked the poster for this, where it said the sequel to the film you probably didn't see. I had a real good chuckle <laughs> at that. I thought that's a, it's a perfect way to introduce the film and it's also a good way for people to go back and see the previous one. Yeah, that, so, that's, that's all down to Andy, that one, because we were trying yeah. to come up with a tagline for the poster and Andy just said, <laughs> Why don't we just say it's the sequel to the film you never saw? And it's like, yeah. And sure enough, when it hit its first film festival in Ireland, we actually said to them, oh, did you go back and watch the the prequel? And they said, oh, we didn't realise there was a prequel. And I was like, well, there we go, the taglines worked. (laughs) (laughs) So what drew you back to the world of Danny and Nelson? Was it the characters? Was it you, you had more t- more stories to tell about them? What was it that you thought this will make a, a good follow-up? We never really intended to make a sequel because if you see, obviously, the way the first one ends, you don't think it could go on. And it was really after a few of the screenings where like, people were coming up to myself and Andy and saying, oh, you know, when are you going to, are you planning to do a sequel? Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I never really thought about it as a sequel, but Andy started jotting down ideas and kept coming back to me with these ideas. And I was like, no, I don't, I, we can't do this, you know, it doesn't make sense. But then eventually he came back to me with a script and I was like, okay, this could work. And that's kind of where this, or we kind of thought, right, okay, that now that we, we see it can continue, how do we then tell another story with the two characters? What was your starting point then, Andy, for actually developing the characters further than they were in the first film? I basically knew the the story I wanted to tell was basically that Danny finds someone else and is conflicted with his past and his future. And trying not to give spoilers away, but when starting to write it, I was thinking all oh, these crazy ideas that I'm like, no, that. You know, if it if it was a human, yeah, it, it would be out there. But it's a puppet. It, you, you can kind of stretch it and make it even more bizarre, and everything's fine. So as a starting point, I w- I just wanted Danny to basically have a life choice again, but to be moving on with his life, basically trying to get his life back on track. Everything's going well for him until mm-hmm. once again a life choice is thrown in, a spanner in the works, and he has to make a difficult kind of life choice I think most of us have been there in some way or another I think yeah absolutely I did notice that the film was and I I don't mean this in a negative way at all but it was a real step up in terms of the production from the first film obviously it was slightly longer it was around about the 19-20 minute mark but you managed to cram so much into that 20 minutes right from the fact that there's a there's a cold opening which leads directly from the first film and then you've got these, you've got this wee title sequence as well, which is like something out of a Bond film, which I really appreciated with Nelson popping up in the middle of that. That was just fantastic. And then obviously the, the film itself revolves around Danny's visits to a psychiatrist. And from there you jump off into various elements like the speed dating and meeting Lizzie and all this sort of stuff. And I, ju- I just thought it was it was really like there was there was an awful lot of ambition in there, as I said, because you you seem to obviously because you know the characters in terms of filmmakers, was it easier for you to sort of ramp up 
or was it was that just something that came naturally anyway? Would you, you think, Chris? <laughs> I was, I was going to say, obviously, first of all, this one had a budget. The last one didn't. <laughs> so when, when you have a bit of money to play with, then yes, you can kind of make things happen a bit. You can give it a bit more of a cinematic feel to it. With this one as well, we knew there was a very good chance that people wouldn't see the first one. So it had to act as a standalone film in its own right. And I think that's where Andy wrote a great structure where it was all, like you say, around the psychiatrist. And it's us finding about Danny. Now, obviously, we already know Danny, but to a new audience, they wouldn't necessarily know about his past and whatnot. So it was kind of nice that it's like we were able to see where Danny was for an old audience. But for this new audience, they could just literally be thrown straight into his life and find it, you know, get the same sense of an appreciation for the story without having seen the first one. When you talk about a budget, it's been quoted that you actually had £1,350, a grand total to, to make the film. And it looks as if it was far more than that. I've seen an awful lot of short films that have cost a lot more and looked as if it was made for a lot less. You obviously have a soundtrack in this film as well all the way through. There's a lot of music in it. Was that something that you were looking to do to get that more cinematic feel even for a short film? Yeah, I think uh, when it was offered to us, we we thought we might as well utilise it was Ross Campbell, the brother of Duncan Ellie James actually, who composed the, the theme and he had offered to us if we ever did a short film he would quite happily come and compose a soundtrack for us and straight off the cuff I think Andy was saying about having a Bond theme and we loved this idea of a big grand opening and having this spoof Bond theme but we were starting to get a bit carried away when the opening sequence was going to be about a fifth of the film <laughs> you know the equivalent so we kind of cut it right down and kind of simplified it a bit and I think kind of what we ended up with works far better than this sort of grand opening that we were originally planning. Obviously you've got a larger cast of characters in this film both human and puppet that it looked as if it was an awful lot of fun to actually bring these characters to life because they're, they're all fairly unique you've got the like the barman and various people that have come in and obviously the drunken crow and this sort of stuff what was it like actually bringing these sort of new characters in it might have looked as if it was quite a lot of fun to do yeah it was amazing i, I mean obviously in the writing process you're just writing this down you kind of get a, a feel of you know what what you think you know these characters are going to be and then obviously when you see them on you know when when you get the actor and they get the character and it's better than you can imagine definitely like writing it down okay john gaffney's character with the barman we, he had us on the floor we had readings it was, it was really fantastic alki crow wasn't even in the script originally he was uh he was part of the kickstarter video we done it as a kind of joke just it's basically this crow who was just drunk trying to sell autumn never dies idea for money and we just kind of laugh and this is a great character we should we should bring him back somewhere i think in the original script that was barry the barman was driving nelson away from the funeral spoilers i mean we thought oh okay crow would be perfect there there's so much more you could write joke wise in there so other the little characters and everyone's different in it which i, I really appreciate that it came across well on on screen yeah it's very dark but it's very very funny the the jokes are it just seems to come one after the other and it's just it's, <laughs> it's difficult to keep up with it at times as well because there's so many jokes especially nelson who i've noticed has got a sort of a larger part in this film when the first one he was more of a sort of sidekick role but here he almost gets equal screen time with danny 
his character obviously is absolutely terrible. He, he just says what he thinks. Was that was 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 all that scripted? Did that all come from your mind, Andy, or did Chris have something to do with that as well? Because some of the things he said was completely outrageous. Yeah, you may have improved one or two things, Chris, but I think I'd, I'd wrote most of it down. I mean, I, after the first one came out, and people, you know, a few people would seen it again. I, I, I didn't realise how much people really liked it but people were coming up to me and like quoting Nelson lines to me and things like that and I'm like <laughs> right this is a winner they're quoting a puppet line back to me you know it's a great character and I thought like, he can't be a main character that just you know that would be Ted too much I think so he's still got to be a, a, he's still got to be the, the funny man the, the one that's telling the jokes to alleviate Danny's kind of pain but we knew we had to give more more screen time because everybody seemed to love that character and it's it's been let's say i mean there was a line that chris thought it was too far so there was a few lines that nelson had to get cut out but i i don't know if i can repeat it on the podcast so it's quite a funny quite a funny process during the adr adr session to try and come up with with an equivalent line that still matches the mouth movement of the puppet you know yeah uh, yeah quite an interesting process that Oh yeah, because I, I remember I was actually um, the, the it's not even that offensive, Chris. Then like I mean, so no, we need to replace this line. And I got I was in work and I was just laughing at myself, thinking of ridiculous things that Nelson. Basically, the, the, the concept of Nelson is he is the friend who just whatever he wants, when he wants, and he does not care. So you're just writing things down like, what would someone say in this situation that doesn't care about anything? And he just, there's no you know he, no responsibility to anything. There's no filter either. It just yeah. says, says it as, as it is. <laughs> and that's it. And I just sent you know, like a text of like 30 different lines you could say. And I think I kept getting occasionally crisp back going, no, too far, no, too far, no chance. So, <laughs> yeah, so some of the lines were yeah, straight from my brain, which I don't know if I should admit, but yeah, a lot of them were. The I think the Caligula one was when you were doing EDR, I think. Chris? Yes, uh, that was the one. That was quite a good line. Yeah, that's why you decided on that one. Nice, nice. Also, without really giving anything away, there is a sex scene in this film, which is shown in silhouette, which is absolutely, absolutely hilarious, I must say. I thought it was particularly well done and obviously very subtly done to be age appropriate so it can get shown at all sorts of film festivals but who whose idea was that obviously it would probably come from the writing and yeah. the, the first but the first instance but how do you work out bringing something like that to screen that uh, that scene was largely saved to, by our cinematographer steve johnson because it was supposed to be done for real you know with somehow this puppet on top of an actress but no matter which way we thought about trying it, we just thought this is not going to work. The puppet's too small. It's just going to look really, really weird. And it was Steve that turned around and said, because I, I was going to cut it right there and then on the, on the day. But he said, let me try something. And then he got his lights out and obviously showed with the puppet in silhouette form. He's like, why don't we do it in silhouettes? And it worked, you know, and we actually probably made a lot cruder than we probably would have got away with. If we did it for real, you know. So yeah, yeah that, that scene is pure genius. That is Steve Johnson thinking about doing it as a silhouette. I, I noted down something else. I, I watched the film again today, and I, I noted down the the transport museum joke 
as another highlight. I just thought that was brilliant. <laughs> Again, it just it just works so well because it's it's really unexpected. It's obviously during a, a reasonably serious moment and it just goes off on this tangent, which is just fantastic. I'm, I was just I was just sitting there really killing myself laughing. Purely uh-huh. down to Andy's, Andy's rage at the tri- taking his child to the transport museum and finding it was absolutely shit. <laughs> <laughs> is, this, is this the new transport museum or the old one? Uh, the, the new one, the Clyde. Yeah. Not Clyde Cider. Yeah. River Clyde or something in it? Aye. It's a, yeah, it's a big shed. Yeah, that's the one, yeah. Aye. Well, I'm old enough to have gone to the first one and you could actually get and touch the cars, but I've been to the other one. Where Aye, you, can't, you, say, yeah. you can't get near anything, yeah. Uh, everyone's on a wall. <laughs> so your film has been getting a fair amount of recognition since it's been out and about touring the festivals. You've had nominations and wins at very diverse festivals as well all over the place. I think there was ones in Japan and obviously it's in competition this week at the Scottish Short Film Festival. I think you're up for... Is it Best script. I think you're up for that one, and yeah. obviously you've you've got various other ones. Uh, there's a Welsh festival and everything. It must be quite gratifying to get that sort of feedback from these places, and like just the fact that you're 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 up there and you're getting nominated. Oh yeah, definitely. Especially, I mean, after the the production was a nightmare. Everything went wrong with it. When it was even talk at one point, like maybe we should just shut down. Maybe we should just, you know. And it's, you know, it's not meant to be kind of thing. It was really horrific. I mean, we don't want to go into great detail about everything that happened, but I mean, our original DP had to drop out. We had to recast the main actress. We were ready to reshoot to pick up. And the, the catch was, you know, if we left Europe that day, we couldn't film. And then Brexit happened, so we didn't have a cameraman to film. Uh, I hate you, Nigel Farage, even more than I already did. Thanks. <laughs> so that shuts down for months, and then we basically had to film the entire film in October. That you know, and that was crazy. And I think one of the scenes, the speed dating scene, in fact, every actor and actress in that film, uh, we got a hold of the night before because everyone else dropped out last minute. Uh, so it was just complete chaos all the way through it. Um, so yeah, so to finally see people like and it, it's it, people like it. That's why we make the film to people laugh and forget how awful life really is. <laughs> um, I, I mean, yeah, it is. In terms of the film festivals, it's quite nice that quite a lot of or like especially the first one as well. Like the first one picked up an award in Australia, which was quite nice that you know Australians who maybe don't know or can't pick up on the, the Glaswegian dialect is obviously a home crowd. It's nice to know that they actually thought that was the best comedy out of all the ones at their festival. And mm-hmm. same with it, getting to America as well. Like Glaswegian accents really don't translate well in America. But, you know, so far we've obviously got the one in New York coming and we've entered into a few more. So it's quite nice that like, places here, there and everywhere seem to get past that language barrier and, you know, enjoy a nice puppet film with extremely crude humour. Yes. I'd like to touch on the promotion of the film. Obviously, you released a trailer for the film, which has nothing of the film in it. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's quite a bold move. Yeah, that was, yep. uh, that was the, that, that, that's the okay. joke. That's what I, I totally love about it. Was it, was it somebody that talked talk to you at a festival, Andy, that yeah. suggested it? Um, yeah. 
basically it was when we first premiered it at the CCA in Glasgow. You know, people like it, whatever, done a Q&A and went our separate ways and it's like a bar there and everyone was kind of networking and whatnot. I'm not one for networking. I never know what to say to people. Like, oh yeah, I write things down. Like, you know, with what you say. <laughs> so it was one of the, I think it was a, a guy came up and he said, oh, how are you doing? What are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm a writer, writer, whatever. And he said, oh, what did, what did you write? And I said, oh, I made the Green Subaltern film. And he said, oh my God, hang on a second. He pulled his girlfriend over. He was like, this is the guy that wrote the film. He says, oh my God, this is amazing. Are you going to make a sequel? So that was the very first person to ever say that. And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> What? Without making kind of spoilers to the first one, but she was like, oh, well, Nelson could, you know, he, he could make a, like, Danny a zombie, and he could, like, terrorise the town and all that, and he, he, he could be a ghost. Danny Danny could be a ghost in the second one, and just ridiculous ideas. I was like, uh-huh, okay, sure. But something sparked in my head of the, the idea, okay, he could, Nelson's going to turn him into a zombie, and he could arrive the village and I'm like that sounds like Frankenstein so in the back of my head it was just starting with that idea to go it would be really funny to do a parody of all the different genres of films when we make a second one this was obviously right and then, you know what I mean and I thought it'd be funny to do a Frankenstein one when it's Nelson is like you know it's alive it's alive and then Danny sits up for could parody a horror one and whatnot and then when I was like oh we should parody Air Force One Mr. President why don't you stand up and grace us with your presence? No? All right. Listen up, Mr. President. You will call your Minister of Defense and order the immediate release of Dmitry Koskov. Not a chance, Barbag. Very well, then. Any last request? Yes, excuse me. I ordered the vegetarian meal and I've quite clearly been given fish. Shut up! Mr. President, I'm afraid your term in office is over. That would be quite funny, and we could we could film in a plane and you know do the motions and have terror, you know, just make it ridiculous, and then do other ones down the line. But obviously we had no money, so we could only make the first, the one and only trailer, which had nothing to do with the film. But that's that was a whole joke of it. Like this is going to do like, a big action set piece on a plane, and it's like, yeah, none of that's in there. That's just that was just made up to get you to buy a ticket, really. <laughs> <laughs> well, it certainly worked anyway. Well, that's good. Obviously, with the, these two films now, and I was having to look on the Wikipedia pages for the the film, and there was some comments on there from reviewers saying that this would possibly make a good series like a short form television series or whatever is that something that you've considered or is it too er- is it still too fresh for you before like considering something like that no it's it is something we are considering at the moment so early days but yes oh yeah absolutely yeah it's i think the fact that multiple people have come back and said that i think it's worth exploring so yeah no me and andy actually met just on saturday there to obviously start um, the groundwork of how do we develop this as a potential series where we've gone from, you know, mm-hmm. two short films to a possible six-episode television series or, you know, ten-episode Netflix series, you know. So, yeah, a lot of a lot of food for thought, I think. Yeah, well, there's there's definitely an audience out there for these sort of things, so don't see why not. It's who do you pitch to? <laughs> <laughs> you, get, you get the phone numbers that's an NBC on the line or something that's what we'll need 
phone them up. Oh no, you can't go network. You have to go indie. You have to. You have to go. Might as well just go for Amazon. You know, use your Amazon yeah, Prime account and just fire something in. You know. <laughs> so phone up Amazon. <laughs> It'll work, won't it? So obviously, the film is still on the go in terms of festivals what's the future for it i take it this isn't the the end of it in terms of i'm just talking about autumn never dies are is, is there plans for it to continue on various film festivals because uh, there are a number of them out there obviously all over the world so is that what your your plan is for it yep i think the last count i saw i think those 53 festivals were still entered so wow it's at least into next year and we've with this one we've decided to go literally here there and everywhere so there's one actually about to declare in a few days time for tehran mm-hmm. which we thought that'll be interesting to see what the iranians make of it you know so <laughs> we've just been trying to find all these random film festivals you know, like bratislava film festival is like one of these ones you would never ever think to throw in a, a film into a festival so it'll be interesting to see what, what comes back nice so obviously uh, as well as the autumn films you guys are fairly prolific in terms of your output over the last services about a dozen about 10 12 years since you've really started working together in one form or another uh, yeah. yeah 2008 2008 yeah. would have been our first one so yeah yeah and you obviously have many hats that you wear in terms of productions obviously that's a necessity with short films but you've all you both seem to have been involved quite heavily in a number of projects Andy, obviously you had your own film broken record which was was that 2013 2014 yeah maybe in 2014 i think yeah i think we shot through but yeah i think it came in 2014 again there's a bit of a continuity there with some of the cast in that film as well and obviously you were director and obviously Chris was involved in it what was it like for yourself being in the director's chair or is it is it something that is just part of the process do you um, obviously a director works in collaboration with so many other elements in a film did you enjoy the process and was it something you'd want to go back and do again do you know I always thought I would like it and want to do it but that was absolutely stressful and terrifying <laughs> so probably not I know when I'm I'm writing, I can envisage like the, the the shot I would like and whatnot. But I think being I don't know being the guy that everybody comes to and wants to know what to do is quite overwhelming. And like I, I don't know, sure. So probably wouldn't want to return to a directing officially unless somebody threw a lot of money in my way. But I would probably say no to that. But it was it was an experience, I suppose. Just to, I'm trying to hang out, finish this sentence here. I mean, it was enjoyable enough seeing it at the end, and you know, working with going to work with the actual cameraman and and, and whatnot, the DOP and, and things like that to try and get the shots I was wanting. But it just it was just I don't know, I found it overly stressful. And I think after that, I kind of fell back in love with just writing and focusing more on that kind of side of it. Chris, obviously, you have done a fair amount of freelance stuff as well, working on the likes of Electric Faces and there's so many other things. You got a bit of recognition you have over the last couple of years as an editor as well. That must be quite gratifying to get praise and get a lot of feedback, a lot of positive feedback and, and for your work in that sort of way. How did you find working for other people in that sort of respect? Was it was it something that you used as a learning experience or 
was it just something that you you, you really enjoy doing? Well, I I, I studied editing at uh, college. I did post production at the City of Glasgow College, and yeah, I've always since sort of school, I've always kind of had a passion for editing videos and I've been very lucky in that sense that when I came out of college as well my friend Mark Ferguson and I set up a production company and it just so happened he was a cameraman I was trained in editing so it was a perfect match in the sense that he went and did the filming I did all the editing so and yeah just over the years I've been very lucky to work with like yeah with so many wonderful and talented people I enjoy tremendously working with Andy, um, Johnny Herbin as well, who did Electric Faces and Mountain. And yeah, there's all, it's always been a nice kind of experience. It's, it's always different working with other people, you know, different people have different ways of how they approach things like directing and producing. But uh, yeah, it's been nice. I tend to sometimes, if I can, get out on the film sets as well. So that, but when it does come into post-production, I kind of almost have an advanced feel of the film and like how I know it's going to, to cut together. And I think I probably take that into directing as well. And it's probably something I focus too heavily on. It's a sense that I'm directing a film so that I know it's going to cut well and probably paying less attention to the likes of the acting, the the, the short sizes and things like that. So I, I always feel as if I'm maybe at a down, downside that I'm too heavily focused on that and maybe it's better to leave directing to other folk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's understandable. Obviously, you are heavily involved in the Glasgow Filmmakers Alliance. Now, from what I've read about that, it came out of a necessity more than anything else because it was difficult to find the right people and get the right people in touch with each other. And obviously, that's been going now for a number of years. And just last year, I believe, you took over as the head honcho the big cheese of the organisation, so to speak. You've obviously been involved in that since the start. What, what kind of drew you into it in the first place? And, you know, how are you taking it forward now that it's all yours? Uh, I think it was when me and Andy were involved in a feature film called In Search of Lachey. And this was on our, our early days. And we we kind of did a feature, feature-length film straight after college which was maybe in hindsight a bit too soon, but it was a great experience. And But one of the things we did kind of find was that there was no kind of central place to find everybody. Now, this was obviously before Facebook groups and FilmBang was about, but FilmBang's website at that time wasn't the easiest to navigate. So myself and Andrew O'Donnell were talking one day and we said, wouldn't it be good if we came up with a directory where we had everybody both in front of camera and behind camera. And that was essentially the birth of the Glasgow Filmmakers Alliance. And from there, we kind of started to get people together. We knew, we started to find people here, there and everywhere across Glasgow that we wouldn't otherwise have known were there. Um, So it was nice to kind of bring people together. And off the back of that, we joined forces with Production Attic, who are a production company through here in Glasgow, to make the Glasgow Creative Networking, which was live networking events to kind of, again, draw people together in collaboration. So that ran for a few years as well and, again, allowed things to grow bigger. And as you were saying, a couple of years ago, Andrew stood down. He's He was an actor for a very long time, but now he's um, going on to do other things. So he stood down and, because I was his deputy, I essentially stood into his role. 
So, yeah, it's kind of nice to kind of, uh, now that we're kind of approaching the 10-year mark of the Filmmakers Alliance been going, just to kind of think of new ways we can diversify it and obviously bring it to new newer audiences. The fact that obviously every year we churn out so many new people that work in, you know, camera, makeup, essentially, you know, every part that needs a uh, every part of a film. So it's kind of nice getting to know the new generation coming through and just trying to introduce them to the database and just showing them how it could work for them. So that's probably us round about the end. I'd like to note that at the end of Autumn Never Dies, I really liked the shout out to Pat Sharp. I thought that was pretty splendid. Well done, guys. <laughs> uh, he re- uh-huh. he re- he just, that's what it was. Nice. Oh, I, 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 I just retweeted him and I was like, oh, I was going to give us a retweet, Pat. And then he retweeted and was like, oh, best luck, Andy, with your film. And I was like, right, we need to somehow get a wee shout out to Pat Sharp in there. Because <laughs> <laughs> then I tweeted him after the film was out and I was like, oh, well, the film's out. It's been like four years, Pat, but have we done it? <laughs> <laughs> You've obviously touched on that you're working, still working together, possible future for Danny and all the the puppets and the humans associated with the, the films. Is that your main focus just now, or are there other things on the go as well moving forward? Well, uh, I think there's a few things in the pipeline. If you want to feel, I don't know if you want to keep this secret, Chris. Or... <laughs> I wouldn't want you to betray any confidences uh, or anything or give away any any plot well, details. Well, one thing we could possibly hint at is that there might be some movement on the Callahan and Horse sequence that appears in Autumn Never Dies being turned into something more substantial. So that's uh, that's certainly possibly a front runner for next year or maybe even the tail end of this year, depending on when we could potentially get restarted with filming things. Well, I look forward to that. I think that'll be particularly good. Andy, you, you go. sorry, I was just going to say, Andy usually has like a swathe of crazy ideas. I mean, we've got so many things jotted down. You know, that if we actually sat in a room together and just blasted through a story idea, we probably could come up with quite a oh, few yeah. films, uh, which is nice. like a fully worked out script for uh, Callahan and Horse. So I wanted to make it as a like a TV kind of web series idea and I just wrote it down like so I've got two fully washed out scripts and that's normally how it work. I just write random stuff down in a script, give it to Chris and go, what do you think? You'll come back, usual notes, this, that, make these jokes and it, it just would just seem to meld really well and it always seems to work out. So hopefully nice. hopefully we can make a an A's action cop show drama. That would be hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That sounds brilliant. So, have you guys managed to get back to the cinemas since things have opened up again, or is it still too early? Um, well, that, not really, because they're, they're just kind of showing older films at the moment, which I can understand for a sort of nostalgic kind of mm. point of view, but uh, yeah, there's nothing that's really kind of enticed me. I don't know about you, Andy, if there's anything you've seen or plan no, to see. Well, uh, I wouldn't have mentioned seen Bill and Ted's the music right now but I'm, I'm not really that desperate to get back to the cinema when I see it right now that's, <laughs> I think that's only just out this week or is it ne- next week it's out so I think the only thing that's probably intriguing is the, the Bond film that's due out but apart from that yeah I don't think there's anything that would drag me into a cinema yeah it's well I've been a couple of times and it's a very very strange experience just 
there's social distancing and everything seems to work okay. And I was speaking to somebody at the Odeon and they say they run a maximum of 22% of capacity at any for anyone screening. So you can imagine even a sold out show will feel like a, a, a wet Tuesday afternoon at the cinema. It's just, it's, it's very bizarre. But it's okay if you turn up in time. I, t- I went to see Tenet and turned up just before it was due to start. So the lights were down. I had real trouble trying to find my seat and make sure I was three seats away from everybody else that was sitting about. So that was quite fun. But I'm a bit like yourself. I'm a bit reticent about going back. And there's not that much on the go at the moment anyway. So, But that's all going to change, I think, over the next month or so, as long as the whole country doesn't go back into lockdown. But, <laughs> you know, we just can't tell, I suppose. Anyway, gentlemen... Thank you very much for your time this evening. Um, it's been a real pleasure talking to both of you. And just to reiterate that I absolutely loved Autumn Never Dies. I thought it was a fantastic movie. And I can't wait to see what you're doing next. So thanks a lot. Thank you very much. Thanks for having us.